Hey everybody, it's Kat and I want to welcome you to another episode of Backstory Sessions. Uh, Matt, today we have a really interesting guest and also a very interesting backstory. That is true, we do, yeah. Um, you know, we have been, uh, like first we were guests on podcasts, like that's how we started with like we, I don't think we had ever talked about doing our own podcast. Um, yeah, that, I think we, I think we did like I don't know, it must have been like twenty different episodes or so before we started backstory sessions. Yeah, so you know, um, we haven't really uh, been a guest all that recently, but. Um, you know, it, it's probably been what six months or so since we were. We um, were uh, yeah, that's probably true. I thought we had done one more recently, but maybe not. I don't remember to be honest. Yeah, uh, well, you know, so that that's kind of our backstory. Is um, I, I thought we were doing one um last week. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I I think our our readers, our readers, I think our listeners. And the readers, too. <laughs> uh, I think that they would probably be very interested in um, this backstory. So, um, you know, even though it makes us look kind of, what would you say would be a good word to put there? I would just say there was a miscommunication on our part, I think. And, uh, you know, it, those things do happen. And. Luckily, All right, I... well, let's, you know, let's set the mood, let's tell the story. All right? So, <laughs> okay, you yeah. know, we, we generally, uh, I mean, we meet once a week, always. Uh, generally, we meet on Sunday, but, um, you know, last week we met on Saturday. Um, and, as it were, we were in the Arby's parking lot. As, as we... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Our preferred meeting spot, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, you know, I keep telling you not to give that location away, but um, now people know where to find us. So, um, yeah, so we, you know, we watch the people walk up to the door and can't get in because of COVID, I guess. Right. And, um, you know, their profanity. And then we we watch the um, Motel 6. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Some interesting things there. There's a great picnic table. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, a fence you can, like, I, I feel like you could leap over if you want to go swimming for free. Yeah. Just saying, that's what it looked like to me. I don't think it'd be so easy to leap over, but uh, you could definitely scale it. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I think pull the car up there. Somebody stand well, on the car. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's possible. Sure. But anyway, you know, we were just doing things like that. Well, we weren't doing them, but we were, I was like envisioning that that could be done. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we also had a podcast um, scheduled uh, that we um, thought we were going to be guests on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we were, um, you know, we were just going to do that like. After our meeting, you'd be in your car, I'd be in the van, because, you know, we it would be by phone, and um, we didn't want to be in the same vehicle, because feedback and right. all of that. 
So, um, you know, you went to your car. I stayed in the van. Phone rang. Um, everything was going, you know, pretty much like it always does when we're a guest on a podcast, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I thought it, uh, you know, we just jumped into the conversation and, you know, it was going along and, uh, you know, I think it was pretty funny and we were laughing a lot and, uh, yeah, I mean, um, so then at some point though, uh, it struck me like, you know, I thought we were just like kind of warming up chit chat that, that sometimes happens before podcasts. Yeah. And then, you know, you get right into it. So I kept, I kept, you know, thinking like, all right, well, you know, this is fun, but, um, you know, um, are we going to start recording <laughs> as the podcast? So I, you know, so I finally just said like, you know, it might sound crazy, but is, you know, have we started? <laughs> and indeed but we I mean, had. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody like seemed like we had started and I just felt like, okay, well, you know, this is, it's a little bit different, but it's, um, you know, he, he, okay. our guest had said it was like kind of, you know, a podcast about anything, everything, nothing. So I'm like thinking, yeah, well, this fits in that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of know, freeform, uh, sure. It, <laughs> uh, it was, we, I thought it was going to be a 30 minutes. That's, that's originally what I thought is that we had a 30 minute podcast. So we had planned that, you know, like what might we talk about for 30 minutes and, uh, 30 minutes turned into an hour, and one hour turned into two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, then the podcast kind of ended. And, um, you know, it, it was great. Uh, new conversation, whatever. Yeah. Until, you know, there was a turning point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that was Matt when you asked a certain question. Right. So I had asked uh, Preston, our guest, if uh, you know when the episode would air, and uh, he was like, "There was uh, silence." Yeah. He was like, uh, "Oh wait, I'm confused. Um, aren't you recording?" <laughs> so. <laughs> so we thought we were guests on his podcast. Yeah. And. He thought he was a guest on our podcast. Yeah, so somewhere along the lines, things got, you know, things were miscommunicated and whatever, and that's fine. It, it happens, and <laughs> luckily he was a good sport about it, so, uh, you know, um, you know, we've had guests before who would have been like, you know, you guys are morons and uh, you know, that kind of thing, so uh, I, you know, have to thank him for that. Um, yeah, so I mean, this week we have him, and if you're hearing this, that means that Matt did push the record button. I indeed with, did, yes. You know, I'm, I'm it's his one job for this. Right, <laughs> I, I do have we things plugged in. <laughs> I do have things. So there you have it, you know, there there is not a better backstory to an episode <laughs> than that, I feel like. So, that uh, is true, yeah. It's kind of funny. Don't listen. Um, let's introduce our guest who is such a great sport and, and really, you know, a great conversationalist. It was uh, enjoyable. I feel like we 
are like almost BFFs by now. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we have with us today Preston Taylor, and Preston, uh, he wears many hats. In fact, he's a comedian, an actor, producer, writer, so um, does a lot of things. Also a podcaster, um, just not last week. <laughs> <laughs> Neither were we. <laughs> Uh, hello again, and I want to welcome you to uh, this episode of Backstory Sessions. Hi. Hey, thanks, Catman. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I almost said having me back, and then I realized, <laughs> no, no, that, that technically wouldn't be correct. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you can pretty much technically on this if you want to, because you yourself everything so much, but... Um, no. Well, you know, it was great because you talk about the the, the miscommunication, but it, it was really funny because I think we were just in our own conversation, kind of started talking about podcasts, and I literally had started one like the week before. So, you know, we were just kind of chatting about that, and I think, you know, getting caught up in that whole thing, it was like, oh, now we just assume we're on each other's podcasts. <laughs> I will have to say that is a first for us. We We've never had that experience before. <laughs> You know, I, I really wish it, it would have been recorded. It would have been a, a really interesting episode to, um, you know. In all, in all honesty, that would have been two episodes. That easily would have been two episodes on our show. Yeah, and um, we could have just, like, shared it, you know, and been like, right. this time, we'll air it the next one, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do the first part and then send you to Preston for Yeah, maybe that's, like, an idea for a podcast for somebody or you know us or oh yeah right you know like everybody just like interview and you don't know who's who's really the guest and who's the host. <laughs> that'd be that'd be awesome yeah. by the way we we are going uh, we filmed our our well film recorded our 10th episode here the other night so we're finally uh, we're taking a break here in the past two weeks and then we're going to uh when we're back from Hawaii, we're going to have you guys on, but we got to figure out the time difference. That's for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is congratulations because 10 is a great, is a milestone. And I remember when we had had just 10 episodes. So, uh, All right. uh, so, you know, I, I do have some questions and a lot of this, I feel like, um, you know, it's going to be conversational kind of guided, but, um, our podcast purpose is kind of to get the stories behind the stories of oh yeah things in your life and things that you're doing and have done. So um, let's start first with um, you know. So you grew up in Zimbabwe um, <laughs> to Australia. Uh, what was that? Cat, like? cat. I think you have any questions for the other guests? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was supposed to be funny, you know, it was like... It uh, was hilarious, because I was like, wait a second. I was like, no, no, wrong life, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you know, so I, I had written these questions, for, uh, you know, for a, another guest that we had, and I was like, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, like for this episode, if I just start out asking him those, I was like, oh no, they mixed me up again. <laughs> I took. I was taking a second. I was like, "Wait a second. I was like, I haven't. I, I, I'm just gonna run with it. You know, I'm just gonna see where this goes." All right. So, uh, Preston, I really do have that. Um, you grew up in Texas. So. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, I think that that's probably more accurate. A little more accurate, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, because you, you kind of don't really sound like you're from Australia. So, uh, no. <laughs> or Zimbabwe, although I'm not really sure, like, how... You know. It w- it wouldn't sound like this. That's what I'm sure of. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's a good point. I, I I'm with you on that. So growing up in Texas, uh, you know, what was that like? Did you live in the city, country, uh, farmer? You know, yeah. What was life so, like? Oh, uh, so yeah, funny or yeah plug myself the whole uh comedy special that just came out a few weeks ago farm to tv uh is basically my stand-up hour special there on tubi uh what it's talking about uh the whole idea was instead of farm to table right where you get this backstory of, of where your produce came from uh you know farm to tv the whole idea was here's a backstory of where i'm from so a little country farm town four thousand people uh Tiny town, Texas in the 90s, uh, 98% percentile uh, white, you know, small prison town, maximum security prison was there. And like, that's it. You you either work at the prison or you work at Walmart. And so um, and then there's a lot of uh, ranch land. So a lot of cattle and and, uh, farmland like uh, ranch land like that, we just call the farm. But uh, so it was very different than you know, city life now living in some place like Los Angeles for the last uh, decade and a half, uh, complete 180 from, you know, half of the days back in the country where what are you doing today? Uh, fishing and building a fire. And what are you doing tomorrow? Fishing and building another fire. And, you know, so it was really so uh, completely different than what life is like today, for sure. So um, in the setting how, how do you like what are the arts like or your opportunities to you know explore acting and being a comedian and you know did you have opportunities or no no there i my form of entertainment growing up was sports like you know that was my inter- you know my entertainment to the crowd right being good at sports crowds would be there and that was the entertainment for uh for me um as far as that, you know, I think we had a small city theater program, maybe, <laughs> um, but not anything that I knew about. Um, you know, we had a high school theater uh, play, which I, I wasn't big in the theater. I, I was uh, I played Reverend Sykes in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, it, it was the worst performance of a Reverend Sykes. And, and Miss Carla Donaldson, if she ever hears this, will attest our theater director in high school. Uh I mean, all I had to say was Miss Cal. I'm pretty sure I had like seven lines. And I, I'm pretty sure I was horrible at saying all seven of those lines. Uh, so, and, and I hated public speaking growing up. I was just not confident standing up in front of people and talking, classrooms, things like that, speeches. So um, it's interesting, you know, how life kind of changes in the past you get put on because growing up not only were there not those opportunities but there really you know there wasn't anywhere to go showcase nor that i have the urge to really do so well so what happened to put you on a different path mm-hmm. um i would say and if people correct the show Entourage really changed my life i think it was my pure accident i was in college 
and getting kind of towards the end of college and, hey, what are you going to do next? Do you want to go to med school? Do I want to go back home, you know, and work and use my degree and, you know, small town it up? And I probably the last six, seven months of college found the show Entourage and just kind of fell in love with <laughs> with Vinny Chase and E and, and, and Johnny Drama and, and kind of this whole like Hollywood allure. And I thought, you know, what better time now? preface this i i finished college in 2008 in the middle of a financial crisis so it wasn't like anybody was getting hired and so it was like one of those things where hey if you were ever going to take a chance it looks like i got a few year window here to kind of do something unique and so i took off after college and and came out to los angeles okay and so um it's a big change as you said earlier um do you immediately find work or oh that's that's funny because i I, i'm still not in anywhere near comedy in 2008 and i have no clue what this place is like i I mean you're going from tiny town texas to even kansas state you know know, 25,000 students you know it's just kids it's like it's not really a town um so then to come to la and you know this county has 10 million people uh, you get lost in the wash really quickly. It's like, you know, you could easily establish yourself in a, in a smaller town. And now you're just a number here. Uh, so that was very unique and eye-opening the moment you get here. And I was very fortunate. Uh, <laughs> Craigslist is my best friend, apparently. I My second week here, um, perspective, I had no clue rent was going to be so different. So... You know, my one bedroom bathroom walk-in apartment with all the utilities paid for back in Kansas was 440. Life was good. And I moved to Los Angeles and it was 1250 for a room and the house that I was staying in uh, before utilities. And I'm like, okay, so I have one month's rent. You know, I went out thinking I had, <laughs> I had some cushion and it's like, no, no, buddy, you need to make some money now or it's time to go home. Uh, <laughs> And and I was very fortunate to you know jump on Craigslist and I ended up being on um, RuPaul's Drag Race my second week here. Um, I think yeah the first season of RuPaul. Pit crew, right? Yes, as part of the pit crew. So literally fourteen days into being in LA, I end up on that show. Like you know, I think I did an absolute Baca episode and uh, Mac uh, makeup uh, cosmetics, and you know so part of the pit crew we just you know look wear boys shorts and they oil us up and you just push out you know whatever product there was that day but it was like to start there and and get to meet rupaul and jaja gabor and rap party and kind of do all these things and it's like i just got here and this is like my first los angeles experience and from there it was i was hooked i was like all right i'm I'm in now let's see if i can figure this thing out granted it took you know another decade before i did but Still, though, that's an amazing, um, you know, first thing to happen to you. Yes. Um, I'll never forget RuPaul meeting him the first day on set, and he was like, great, what agency did we uh, get you from? And I was like, oh, I just answered some ad on Craigslist. And he goes, oh, my God, if you're that lucky, you're going to do just fine in this town. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you feel like that had rent been, you know, for whatever – um, in Los Angeles, the same as it had been before in Kansas. Um, do you feel like you would have pushed yourself to get out there so quickly? Um, you know, it's funny you said it because I've never thought about that, but you're 
It's true, and honestly, uh, I would probably not have right because it was dire. I mean, I'm very prideful person, uh, you know, kind of being a country farm kid. So, you know, to pack up and have to go home a month or two in, you know, with your tail between your legs, like, all right, mom, you're right. No, man, I can't do it. So, you know, it was a real eye opener. I had to hit the ground running, and that just kind of gave me the confidence, like, hey, you can do it out here. You know, start figuring it out and. Uh, you know, it's quickly you figure out how many people have gig jobs in the gig industry. And it was like, you know, now everyone talks about the gig industry because, you know, it's become a major. It was like, but that was a normal thing back in 08 and 09. It was like everyone worked at Abercrombie and then bartended and then, you know, went and did auditions and things like that. And then whatever else, like you just did as much as you could to get by. <laughs> I, I have a, well. quick, I have a quick question for you. So, um, was your, were your parents or your mother, um, opposed to you going to LA? Um, not really opposed as much as I think terrified, oh, right? Okay. Uh, small kind of, you know, she was a prison guard for 30 years, just a small town country, like hardcore religious Baptist woman. Like she's like, you know, the big bad world is always going to eat you, you know, come yeah, back and just yeah. stay home near mama. Yeah, that was always her hope. <laughs> and it was like, you know, Mom, somebody has to go out into the big bad world. Everyone can't stay at home. Right, yeah. I'll get you into the prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you have siblings? Oh, uh, yes, I have uh, four brothers. So did they did they stay home? <laughs> yeah, you know everyone everyone really has. You know I have a large like you know southern kind of country family. My family reunion every year is about three hundred people, and all of my I mean you know I honestly say two hundred and ninety five of those are in Texas and pretty clustered around each other. And then you know myself and a few other people fly in every year. Like it's it's really hard to get away from and you know it's kind of that group think mentality and and everyone kind of wants the pressure of that community it's like hey i i'm good i gotta do something different yeah. oh mr hollywood's here <laughs> oh you that's i mean you <laughs> you know you grow up watching those ridiculous movies like ah, oh, yeah the guy that comes back is this and now you're that guy and it's like oh i see what i see. you know you thought this movie was silly it's it's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think that it's when I was reading that um, it said you were a stuntman as well. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> that's another one of those weird roles when I first got out here that I did some silent film and uh, and it's crazy because that thing ended up winning an award and I had no clue. Um I was just, you know, tapped to be this extra for this guy's film project. And he ends up having this like high end award winning stunt guy to do this free like kid project at um, CSUN, which is a, um, a smaller college in the valley here in, in Los Angeles. So, I mean, I was like, wow, that's interesting. All right. And the cast isn't that great, but he had like, well, it was a great cast, but like for the student film for him to be able to go get this great cast and not have a budget of any type. It was like, what's going on here? This is pretty awesome. Um, and then I figured out uh, why, and it was because it was going to be going up for these awards and different things. Uh, and our stunt coordinator, man, this guy was, I, it changed my view of Hollywood. One, uh, it's almost the idea of you think you get a call sheet, right? It says show up at four 30, you're supposed to shoot at six. And then, you know, you hope to be wrapped by seven 30. 
Uh, you know, if you guys, of course, ever did any act, that never happens. Not one time ever in the history of acting or entertainment <laughs> has that ever. That I mean, just add six hours or ten to that at any point because that's what it really is, right? <laughs> it's never that. And on that film is exactly like my first foray into really learning that because it was get up at four o'clock so that we could get out in the desert because you wanted the sunrise pictures to have that kind of Armageddon look. And you already had that makeup done by six forty-five. So I was like, Oh great. You know, we're going to shoot it in the morning and everything's no. Now you're there till sundown because you got to shoot it again because they didn't get it right the first time. And so you spend, you know, five hours out of the day working on stunts and, like you have to do a certain number of hours of certain stunts before you're allowed to actually do them, um, you know, for different insurance purposes and things like that. And it, it, you know, over a two hour period, you end up working out and flipping on mats and doing all these things for 10 hours <laughs> so that you can do a two minute scene and your body's aching and you're tired and you're exhausted. And I was like, I, I don't know if I ever want to be like, you start taking your head off to these Jason Statham, Tom Cruise type dudes. I did that for two days and I don't ever want to do stunts again in my life, <laughs> you know? And, and I watched, and I admire Jackie Chan and the Jet Lees of the world where I'm looking at those guys. Like when I get older and I'm in the movies, man, I'm going to do all my stunts just like them. And now I have that opportunity and I'm like, man, if y'all can get me a stunt dude, that'd be awesome. Cause I am not <laughs> doing that shit anymore. <laughs> So what kind of stunts were you doing, just out of curiosity? So it was weird. I had to get kicked in the chest, and you had to do a back roll. And when you do the back roll, you know, they want or uh, they really want you to look like you're flying through the air. So I had to practice basically getting fake kicked in the chest and then jumping backwards. And on the mat, they want you to have a certain, like, flop. And so basically jumping backwards into a backward roll. And the problem is if you roll the wrong way – really hurt your neck right jumping backwards and then rolling backward uh and then you gotta you know fall dead <laughs> and so doing that hour after hour after hour with these guys and different i mean it was just like i mean can we do anything else it was like nope not until we get this right <laughs> um so you practice a, a lot of falling and and a lot of uh a lot of the turning because there's a lot of the choreographing when you got two or three guys in a fight scene and you know, you're doing kind of the John Wick stuff that they do where, you know, you're throwing one guy and sweep legs, sweeping the next guy, and it's just so much choreographing that goes into it. Had you been like a gymnast or a cheerleader or, you know, some, like what background made you think like, you know, I, I can do these things? You know, I mean, I did for two years. My little brother was a huge gymnast, and he was actually huge competition-wise and things like I had none of that gene. I was great at sports and all, but not gym. I mean, weak, weak wrist. I just did cartwheels, handsprings, and just, I'm a baby. It makes no sense. I can play football, but I, I can't do a cartwheel properly. So I just, it wasn't my... Uh, forte. But, you know, as far as roles and stuff, uh, we, you know, for football and things, we used to do mat drills and things like that. So I was like, rolling, God, I can do that all day. <laughs> well, you say that till you literally have to do it all day. And then it's like, you know what? I meant that I could do it for like a good half hour or so. Like, <laughs> I could do it once. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so you made it through that. The film yeah. you said did well and won some awards and um, I mean, do you look back at that and be like, wow, that's me. 
You know, that's the weirdest thing about something like that, where, like, over the years, you kind of watch old interviews or look at entertainers, and they'll say, oh, you know, I, you know, when we did that, we had no clue, or, you know, now I understand, because I had no clue. Like, we had fun. We thought it was cool. We didn't think we were making something that was going to win anything. Like, you know, we just were, it was a cool thing. His project did well. Um, you know, it was shot well, and, and we had some good people, but you don't ever think, oh, man, you know, now we're going to go win the cool things. So um, that was a, a pretty unique experience and, and kind of really grew the appetite. Uh, and I didn't even know. It was one of those things I looked back on IMDb, and they were like, oh, yeah, man, you didn't know. And I was like, no, I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations anyways. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> that's great. Um. So then how does comedy, like, how do you end up with the first big break? Uh, so I, I loved comedy. I always was quiet still, but I like to be that sneaky dude to, like, whisper something funny to you, right? That was my thing. Um, and a friend of mine in college, uh, my last year, decided, he, you know, he's just like, man, you're funny. You should write some of this stuff down. Maybe start writing comedy. He goes, if you, you know, if you don't have the, the, the cojones to get up on stage, you know, at least maybe you can uh, write some stuff and maybe you'll be a writer. Uh, so that was 2007. <laughs> and wrote some stuff here or there, made the move here in 2008, still kept writing. And then it was 2010. Uh, I moved to New York to runway model for three months. And three months in New York made me a completely different person. One, New York is way worse than Vegas. They stay up way longer. They never go to sleep. They never stop doing I told you New York is the craziest place on the planet, and I treat it like it's Vegas. I can hang in Vegas for a week. I can do New York three days max. Like, uh, it, it was a new animal. But, you know, it was, you know, people banging into each other on the sidewalk saying, hey, you know, F you, oh, F you, yeah. whatever, have a great day, you know, hey, you too, all right, be careful next time, all right, I will, and you're like, that dude just cussed him out and told him to have a good day in the same sentence, and nobody was upset, right, and then you go to the subway to, to go down 30 streets, and some dude is playing the violin, and someone's trying to sell you a gold chain, and then on the next car, some dude's performing comedy for the 50th time that day, and it was like living in that environment for three months, I was like, Bro, if you can't write jokes and get on stage, you're never going to, like, just give up, you know, because, uh, like, just seeing those people interaction changed me for those three months. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. I, I've had, uh, I'm from New York, so I've had a lot oh, of experience she... dealing with that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Right there. Yeah, it it really like it that really half of the day you're walking around, you know, grabbing two and three dollar slices off the. I, there wasn't a day in New York I didn't spend a hundred and something dollars on food because if you're walking <laughs> around and then there's the best deli you've ever seen and then there's the best piece of dessert you've ever seen and then you know you go for me I was around here too so you're walking to down the street you hit 44th you go into a penthouse somewhere you start playing cards for a while you come back out and you're hungry again like it was i don't i really didn't i can't take that city but it did push me it did push me uh to finally say you know what i can get on stage and do this <laughs> well uh so matt i mean how, how do you feel like hearing that about new york is that uh it's all true you know <laughs> it, it it is a crazy place uh 
You know, it's probably not as, I don't know, um, people make it out to be different than it really is, but, uh, you know, people are just different there. It's a different lifestyle yeah. and, uh, different, uh, mindset, I would say, but, uh, you know, it's a great place for sure. Yeah. People are, well, one thing I noticed there, because you have to be out and about and you need to move around and it's not like LA where it's spread out enough that you have to have a car still. And so you can still kind of have that space to yourself in your car away from people. No, everyone's in your face there. And yeah. so you, you have to, you get used to it. You know, when you go to Central Park, guess what? So did a million other people. <laughs> so, yeah. and you know, when you say that, it's not an exaggeration, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it really is another million people are there too. And so, yeah. you know, it, you get to this place where everyone's just comfortable with each other. And, and like I said, you can, you can say something negative and instead of it turning into a, a fight or something crazy, right. Where, you know, in other places of the country, it might there is just a, like a, almost like a reminder of like, Hey, Hey, hey calm down, buddy. All right. Oh yeah. You're right. You know what? I was <laughs> yeah. kind of being, a, I was kind of not paying attention. You're right. All right. Have a good one. You know? So yeah, it yeah but there it's, it's a like, great hey, place. but there it's like, Hey buddy, calm down. The other one's like, yeah, screw you, buddy. Right. Exactly. Idiot. <laughs> so, but even that, it, it pushes you, it seems like, in a positive direction because uh, you realize the things you don't want. You, you don't want to live there. Uh, <laughs> so, you also get confidence that you feel like you can go on the stage. So what happened next? Yeah, I, I, I really love this. I'm like I told you, I, really, I love New York. I just, I treat it like Vegas. When I go there, I, I have a blast for three days, then I leave. <laughs> um, but I, I moved back to Los Angeles after runway season's over, and probably it was the June of 2010. I'm back here probably a week, and I sign up for, um, it was the Palm West Hollywood. I sign up for open mic night, five minutes, and probably the most terrifying day I, I've ever had. Like, leading up to that day, stop watching myself over and over, trying to pick five minutes worth of jokes out of three years of material I'd written down. Um, you know, hoping it was funny, not just to me and my friends, but the actual crowd of people for the first time. Uh, it was, yeah, it was probably one of the most gut-wrenching experiences. Like, just kind of like we do with a lot of things in our head, leading up to it. <laughs> And then, uh, and then actually getting there for the experience kind of changed everything because then you get in the room and there's 15 other people that are just as nervous as you, because guess what? They're all mostly first timers too. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I was like, okay, this is a little better, you know, but it's, you're still nervous. Uh, cause you want to make sure you remember the words at least. Right. Yeah. And, uh, my, I probably was shaking, you know, and like, I played at K State. I've, I've run out in front of seventy thousand people before, screaming and yelling, and doesn't bother me a bit. You know, now I'm in a bar with twenty-seven people, and I'm terrified. <laughs> and, and and the guy in front of me, I'll never forget this guy, said like ten words, and then just went blank. Yeah, and, wow. And I mean, when I say blank, just stood there going, um. Um, uh, wait a second. I had it. Uh, uh, 
And he did that for the next four and a half minutes until he got lighted. I mean, he could have just left the stage, but he did that the entire <laughs> time. And I was like, there's no way I could be that bad. It's just not possible. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what I do or say now, that won't happen. And so I was like, I might have gotten the luckiest break of ever to like, suddenly I had the most false confidence you could ever have for someone's first time on stage. <laughs> Well, you got to give him credit. He stuck with it. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I, I love comedy and, and I've given some of the worst comedy performances ever. Some of the biggest applauses. And I'm la only one laughing because, you know, I really respect and understand how hard it is to get up there and to say some of the things that people do. So, you know, even when I know someone's hurting, like if they put together a joke that even the crowd might not get, God, I'll give them that ridiculous laugh because, man, maybe they don't have the delivery down. Maybe they don't know everything yet. Dang right. it, I didn't know it all either 10 years ago. But <laughs> So, so you know, I, I, I cut people a lot of slack, but I'm still gracious for that guy because you – I can't give him any slack. There was no jokes. There was no punchlines. <laughs> there was nothing. <laughs> uh, so how does your performance go now that you're uh, like, built up with confidence? You know, it actually went well. Um, it went very well, and, and I was very fortunate that, you know, a couple of the comics stopped by afterwards and, you know, hey, how long have you been doing this? Or, you know, what have you been doing next? And, blah, blah, you know, and I was like, oh, this was my first one. And they're like, oh, wow, you're, you know, going to be okay. Uh, but the second show a week later was kind of a, probably the, the <laughs> if you're ever going to have false confidence, uh, I used to love watching the Jamie Foxx show growing up and, um, uh, Garrett Morris played Mr. King, but uh, Garrett Morris is you know, comedy legend and you know, Juilliard School of Arts, you know, acting and everything else. Right? So he just stage and shows and everything else, but he's having a comedy show in downtown L.A. and they have a newcomers section and I get tagged to be one of the two newcomers guys. And so now it's, you know, five days, six days after my first show ever. Oh, and I'm on his show doing a show. Uh, <laughs> And then I jump up and I do my five minutes and I have some friends recorded and things. I still watch that show. Because uh, after that show, he and I are chatting and I'm trying to get a picture with him and stuff. And he's like, kid, man, good looking kid. How long have you been doing this comedy stuff? About five or six years. And I was like, Garrett, this was my second show. I started last week. And he just looked at me and he's like, all right, man, you're going to be all right at this comedy thing. He goes, this is your second show? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, 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 I'll see you in a, I'll see you in a few years, you know, <laughs> and yeah, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but now looking back, I mean, the third show I did uh, a month later, I ended up in San Francisco, and then three months into it, I'm on the road, and it was funny, because in the beginning, I had a lot of animosity from comics, and I didn't understand what was going on, and then a good friend of mine that I've been going for a while, he was like, what you're doing in the first six months, I know people that haven't done in a decade, which is you're on the road actually getting paid. He goes, most of these comics that you perform with have been doing this stuff five, six, seven, eight years, and they're still just performing here, doing open mics. I was like, oh, I like I didn't know any better. You know, <laughs> I was like, I just thought that was what you're supposed to do, like go and book <laughs> shows. So I just would call places and book shows. They're like, no, that's. <laughs> That's I was like, well, look, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know I skipped the line. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Jeez. Well, so um, have you had hecklers at your, um, you know, at your performances? 
So I've been very fortunate. Uh, so I started to, so this is year 11. Uh, I would say in 11 years of performing, I, I might've had two hecklers and they weren't even real hecklers. They were just wasted. So it was like easy to either obliterate them or make fun of them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> like uh, one person was just belligerently drunk. And so and to the point they ended up getting pulled out, which was fine. But the other person, he wasn't like, you know, kind of, trying to heckle as much as wanted to be a part of the show. (laughs) So I'm pretty much just kind of integrated with whatever he would blurt out into the show. Uh, But other than, other than that, (laughs) right. Well, he, and I, I will always give him credit because I even say this in the, in the special. Um, There's a a joke I talk about uh, being with an older woman and and I happen to be 23 at the time and she's in her sixties. Um, and I was like, <laughs> he yells out of the crowd. He goes, hey, you know, when everything finished up, did you all sleep in separate bedrooms? And I dropped the microphone on stage because I was like, do you know how funny that is, sir? <laughs> and he goes, what? And I was like, I'm buying. And I asked him what he was drinking. And he told me, Scott, I was like, someone get this guy the finest glass of Macau and you can find. <laughs> I was like, because that's hilarious. And, you know, most people didn't get it. But I was like. No, 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 Back in the old days, 1950s, 60s, I was like, your grandparents didn't sleep in the same room, buddy. And they're like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, that's why that joke is funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I try to turn any heckling and, and, or any heckler that I at least have had into more of a positive. And like I said, that one, heck, it turned into a joke that I've now used for years. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. The only situation that was, and I'll never forget this probably ever, uh, about four or five years in, there's a venue that I love to perform at here on Hollywood Boulevard. And I'd perform, basically, I would call it home base between there and a comedy store. Uh, and I'd probably perform at this place 50 times. Uh, never had any rough nights or anything. This night, crowd's packed. We have at least five or six comics that I know are, I mean, crushers, like people that no matter where they go, uh, Melissa Villasenor's on the lineup, which, you know, she's on SNL now. Right. Uh, but her and I came out at the same time. And so, you know, she was crushing it with her Mickey Mouse voices and all the stuff that she does. The most unbelievable thing, so what, 10 of us went up that night, not one person laughed. 10 comics, two hours of people talking into her microphone. Not <laughs> one person. This crowd, I mean, this place was packed to the brim. And I don't know if it was like, foreign food night or like what like because we did get a lot of foreign travelers who would come there because the dining was nice but it was like no one understood what we were saying and by the time the fourth or fifth comic got up we were all looking like you know is the crowd here for just one person um you know did like is something like it was it was almost like being in the twilight zone and that i'll never forget (laughs) that's funny have you ever had any issues like, um, you know, you always see in the movies where comic does a show and then he has a problem getting paid and, you know, that usually leads to some, you know, some other thing that happens. But have you ever gone through that? No, I've, I've heard those stories. And, and luckily these days, uh, everywhere I performed, uh, you know, typically they, they either take care of you pretty well up front or, uh, like I said, I've been very fortunate, you know, show-wise that nothing's at least going too awry. Okay. Uh, you know, I've heard, definitely heard those horror stories uh, with the Bill Burrs and the folks throughout the years and reading old Richard's books and things. It's like, man, this seems to have happened to everybody. Yeah. Now, yeah. 
granted, I, I haven't been to too many smaller venues, and I'm sure I will. As like I, I'll now have to tour for this last special that uh, just came out. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if those types of things start popping up now. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, uh, um, but, oh, go ahead. Oh no, but it'll be interesting to see because I, I like I know it's supposed to be part of it somewhere, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when's my time in the barrel? <laughs> right so um uh so you you start doing comedy and you've been doing it for a while so how do you like at what point did you like i guess like uh start getting better gigs and you know now you're doing you have this stand-up show or whatever uh or uh, special or whatever so i mean when did you like this is your second one that you you're doing? Oh uh, no, it's my first one. Oh, okay. So now we're gearing up for number two. Okay. So when, like, how did the first one come about? Uh honestly, I, I'd gotten tired of doing a lot of the jokes. I have way too much material, and you know, at some point, I was like, if I'm ever going to retire this stuff and get on to the new stuff, I, I need to get a show done. And that was probably 2015. I was ready to do uh show one mm-hmm. and it was just i think i was too too young uh didn't have the kind of the the head on the shoulders and and back then the mentality you know five six years ago i'm still only uh you know six seven years into being out here so i'm still pretty new mm-hmm. uh, as far as trying to learn as much as i can and to me the industry is hey, keep going up and performing and, and doing these things, and then eventually, you know, someone's going to catch you and, and say, hey, you're the next guy, and they're going to give you a Comedy Central special. And, and I was like, that's not the world we live in anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just isn't. If you think someone's going to come find you and pull you off the stage, it's not happening. Um, well, you and know, then at the same... given, your, oh, I mean, yeah. given your past and, like, what happened when you went out there, I mean, <laughs> you know, it could happen. Yes, it really could. <laughs> um, you see but, step in a lot of poop. <laughs> right? <laughs> step in, keep failing up. I don't yeah. know how it happened. <laughs> um, but I ended up going, I got a, a really nice job offer in the Silicon Valley and at the end of 2014. And so I moved to the Bay Area. And, you know, now when I'm ready to shoot this special, you know, I'm in the Bay Area, not really doing as much comedy. I'm, I'm focused on tech. Uh, and I, I kind of lose the two years there where I, I'm doing shows here or there, but not really uh, performing as much as I would like. Um, uh, and just, then t- just to be clear, your degree was in tech, and some. Uh, my degree, my degree was actually was in chemistry, but oh, okay. uh, a friend of mine at the time owned a, a few tech companies and was like, "Hey, you know, you seem bright, so you know, come <laughs> make money." I mean, he was he was he was yeah, right. You seem it, smart. <laughs> Yeah, at the end of the day is what I tell people. Your degree just shows that you can go somewhere for three to five years and stay there. Right. That's all it really should, right? Because your employer, that's what they want to know, that you're not going to pick up and run tail after a few months. It's like, yeah, can you stick around and actually do some of a task for a long amount of time? You can? Cool. Because, I mean, right? I mean, if you're pretty smart to finish college, you give somebody five or six months just about doing anything, they'll be all right at it. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's funny. Oh, uh, he was right. Uh, <laughs> turns out I was pretty good at it. It had been a pretty good sales guy. But, uh, you know, I lose two years of, of, 
of not really performing as much as I would like up there. Uh, and then in 2017, I get an opportunity to work remote. And when that happens, I just go ahead and move back to LA and start performing again. Um, and really my confidence at that level, I don't, you know, I think my confidence level was rising before I went to the Bay area, but now you switch from, you know, ha ha and a microphone and telling jokes, you know, here and there for a few nights a week to, boardrooms you know at, at facebook and and tesla and linkedin and all these places and and suddenly you know i'm in a suit talking to you know executives yeah. so now to take that off at, right i've done comedy and then i switched and i've done that now to get to take that suit off and the, well, i still wear suits on stage but you know now switch back to the stage it almost made the stage seem like why did i even let this stress me out at all like there's no million dollar microchip deal on the line here. Right. Like This is just like, you know, the only thing that's on the line is, is I hope to make these people laugh. So it really kind of almost gave me another, uh, I would say another barrier or another set of confidence now. So once I came back in 17, uh, my performances and confidence was growing. And so, at, you know, each show you're doing, people would meet you and ask you to come on to the next show. So now the shows are starting to grow and get a bigger audience. And right. uh, that's when I really just decided, uh, you know, I'm not waiting anymore. So I have to get these jokes out and uh, start talking with investors and friends from back in the Bay Area and kind of let them know the idea I had. And then uh, Steve Balderson happened to be a, 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 a director out here that I just finished up a project and I knew he was looking for kind of something new that he hadn't done before. And he had just worked on uh, uh, Margaret Cho's special. And he's like, yeah, but I didn't get to be the guy. So he said, he's like, I want to be the guy. And I was like, you know what? I think we can do this. So he gave me a budget. I went out and found the money and, you know, we set off to, Hey, in five months, let's go find somewhere to shoot a comedy special. Awesome. And, so, and that's really how it came together. Wow. And so is that the farm to TV special? Is that the, Yes, indeed. That's, yes, it is. And what's great about that is I met him in a little farm town in Kansas called Lamigo. So he's he's also from his town is smaller than my town. His town is probably a town of two, three hundred people. Wow. Yeah. And so I met him there uh, and I was an extra in one of his movies back in 2008 called Watch Out. And then fast forward in 2019, he's directing my stand up special. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And so in this, uh, as I understand it, in this form, the TV special, you had a goal of you were going to do this one shot, um, 65 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, with no stage clock or anything, you are going to be, you know, exactly the 65 minutes. So that's a funny story because it actually is a good backstory. Um I'm a huge Rodney Dangerfield fan uh, as far as, I mean, I, I just loved Rodney growing up. And uh, Rodney was extremely particular. I used to, a friend of mine here, I used to do a lot of work with Rodney. And he's like, yeah, you think you, you're obsessive with your kind of behind the scenes. But it was like Rodney was obsessive about time. Um, you know, if you told Rodney he had seven minutes, Rodney was walking off the stage in seven minutes. <laughs> and I, I love to do that. You know, I hate, uh, when I first got into the comedy store, they, they used to hit the light in the back and in the belly room in the comedy store, a big red light. You can't miss it. 
and people just run the light. You know, when the light comes on, you got a minute, maybe two minutes, depending on if you're killing the crowd. Then they're going to hit you with a double light. You can't miss it. And the double light would come on, and I'll never forget my first experience at the comedy store. Dude just runs the light for like five or six minutes. And, you know, people are just getting angry in the back and things like that. And I was like, I'm never going to be that guy. Hmm. You know, and I really, really tuned into, you know, getting down to the particulars and timing. So for me, um, I learned that Rodney always, when he shot specials or did anything for like our shows, he would do 65 minutes. And his thing was there was no stage clock. He literally would walk out, and people were like, watch, set your timer. He would start talking. The moment he'd put that microphone back down, it'd be 65 minutes. And they're like, how? Every time. And I was like, because he's that dang perfectionist. Like, he's on it. And so that was my goal, setting out to do Farm to TV. Not only was that the only night that I ever performed that show, uh, so, you know, and like a lot of specials you see today where they've rolled it seven times over two weeks, right? And they keep shooting and shooting it. It's like, no, we shot it one time, one night. I performed it one time. And, you know, I can say that I walked on stage and I walked off. It was like 6509 or 6510. Wow. That's <laughs> wow. awesome. <laughs> so, what if it had been 64? <laughs> you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been sad about it. I I was more or less shocked that I actually hit it spot on. I mean, basically, we had 90 minutes of film, you know, and we, we're, we're well into high five figures on this budget of a no-name comic that's shooting his first comedy <laughs> special. <laughs> and, uh, and so my thought process was, one, if I mess up at all, you know, it's Hollywood, you're just supposed to start over and they'll, you know, we'll shoot and edit back in, but... I didn't stop. So I was very fortunate that, you know, we kind of planned for stops. We had planned for all these other things and it didn't happen. Uh, I was even trying to plan for being early because the last thing you want to do is say you're shooting an hour long special and then only have 50 something minutes of video. <laughs> Cause then after editing, you know, you only have 40 something minutes of video. Right. So, uh, so we were very fortunate, uh, you know, that it did land on the 65 and, you know, listen, if it would have been 64 and change, I would have just rounded up. <laughs> <laughs> so you did, so you did this special and, uh, what, you know, what was the, um, you know, what kind of feedback did you get from it? Uh, that night it was pretty cool. Uh, not really like I, I couldn't fathom what it was the next day. I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right because i can do better oh dang it i probably should shoot it three times now i see why they shoot it over and over right yeah. and then, then i'm like don't doubt yourself and then the first edit comes back and i was like oh you should doubt yourself <laughs> but, <laughs> i really suck <laughs> uh, right but you know then all the things start you know creeping back in you got to remind yourself you're your toughest critic you know all those types of things and we right. get to the second edit, and a new team grabs it, and, and uh, the team that finished it up and, and got it there uh, showing on Tubi now. And, uh, I mean, it looks night and day from the first time I saw it in the cut, and you're like, like that was what the vision of I had finally what got to TV. So, you know, the process of uh, it was shot in 2019, March, and, you know, so it came out two years later. Mm -hmm. uh, working, you know, for 18 months, uh, you know, with editors and sound people and watching it over and over and over again, it was like, you get a whole new appreciation for a different process of the industry. <laughs> did you think, did you think to yourself like, oh man, is this thing ever going to come out? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
And, you know, that's another one of the hurry up and wait things about Hollywood, right? You, you know, because Dave Chappelle shot a special and, and because Sarah Silverman shot a special, you know, and, and because Bill shot one and they shot it in March and, you know, it's out in June or August, you know, suddenly you get the idea in your head that, hey, when I shoot my special in March, I mean, at worst, it'll be out by October, November, right? Yeah. No, not right. Like, and it's funny too because if you look at so many streaming services now, how many things pop up that were from you know 2015 or 2016? You're like, wow, this is this is my first time seeing it. I'm like, yeah, it's the first time anyone's seeing yeah. it because you know it just got pulled up or the the post production just finished or you know I'm learning now how many movies are still sitting in post production because people don't have the money to finish post. Uh-huh. You know? and so I, I I learned so much in the process. Uh, that's kind of where that producer credit came from. You know, it sounded real cool. Once again, watching Entourage and getting that producer credit and doing all those things. And until you come out here and do it, kind of like the stunts, <laughs> people yeah. ask, will you produce again? I was like, just like those stunts. No, I want to be a no show <laughs> producer for the rest of my life because actually producing a show, it was my own show. And that was hard. Like, I'll, t- I'll put it in perspective like this. I was like, okay, you know, I'll, you get a director, you get a venue, I'm the comic, I got to write the stuff. Right. I, I got a hair and makeup person, boom, that should be life. You know, you don't think about the key grip and, and making sure that, you know, how do you get the butts in the seats and the promotional flyers and the opening acts. Okay, well, you know, now that all that stuff's situated, on the night of, everything has to go correctly once the butts are in the seats and taking care of everybody and making sure the order is going well. And, you know, all these things are happening. And then, you know, in, in my head, for instance, I thought, okay, you know, you hear the stories, right? Oh, 30 minutes, you're in the dressing room, you're warming up beforehand. Like, that's kind of how you envision the comics or whatnot, you know, getting themselves hyped up and ready. Right, and Jack, I had, Jack Nicholson stops by and says, yeah. hey, dude. <laughs> I had 45 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I had 45 seconds before the show. Because I was running around making sure the acts before me were getting up. I was making sure that the music in between and that guy was taken care of. You know, and I'm greeting the people coming in and I'm shaking all the other producers' hands that came in and the money people. And, you know, next thing you know, I hear the director say, hey, you know, cue the music. You got one minute. I was like, I was supposed to be practicing for the last half hour, like in the dressing room getting ready. And now instead, you know, I'm running to my dressing room, like trying to dab the sweat off of my head before I jump on stage. Do you think that helped your performance? Like not having that, like, you know, just jumping in and doing it or. Uh... It definitely, I think made me get out of the head. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell in that first 10 minutes, uh, kind of getting the story together in the show, I'm, to me, I can tell I'm dragging. I think it does. It picks up pretty quickly right after that. Yeah. Um, but it's like I can I can see when I change gears and I get really dialed in, and I can tell maybe that that kind of took a moment for me to switch gears and kind of get up there and enjoy what I was doing versus kind of thinking about everything else that was going on. Right. Uh, but I also I tried to at least my best to make sure no one else saw that. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but then it's the, you know, the things afterwards, you know, it's like, okay, taking care of all the crew and the payments, the rap party. And then, all right, now, you know, post-production for the next 18 months and you're working with color people and sound people. And, and, you know, then the person that's actually doing the editing of, hey, which clip do you want here and there? And I was like, 
oh my god there's so many steps and i was like <laughs> okay now that we've, thing out. <laughs> right? I was like, okay now that we've done that part guess what you got to go find a release partner and i'm like jesus i just <laughs> what what else do you have so how do all these other people and that's when you realize that's how dave and all these people can get their stuff out in six months after because there's teams of people doing every one of these steps man. you know and it's like when you do it yourself good luck man <laughs> <laughs> wow that, that's interesting I didn't realize there was so much involved and, you know, I just thought it was like, all right, you shoot it and then, you know, it goes to whoever's going to put it out and, you know, that's that. Right. I mean, my hope was that, right, you come in with some money, you're right, I paid the director, I paid the place, great, you go shoot it. All right, I shot it, now I'm paying you to cut it and make it look good and then we're going to go, right, I in my head it was like, this is pretty easy. Grant Cardone says it, people, 10X is going to be 10 times harder than you assumed. <laughs> You're going to run into 10 different things, wrong, right? <laughs> it's like, whatever you think the work is going to be, just get ready for it to be 10 times. <laughs> so, uh, so you've done this special and, uh, you know, uh, you know, it comes out and, uh, uh, so what's next? I mean. Well, yeah, you know, it's been interesting because with the, you know, I think the pandemic here gave me, I mean, I took it as a leg up because it kind of slowed the business down for a year and gave my uh, special a chance to come out. And now with things just kind of coming back and opening up, people are just performing again. So I, I get to go out now and start promoting the show. But while I'm promoting the show, you know, I'm working on show two. So uh, that's really what I'm excited for going forward uh working uh you know at least right now to be determined but uh farmed and dangerous is number two (laughs) (laughs) and uh and then yeah i've had a couple of different uh, movie roles come my way recently uh since the show aired here last month um and so i've been reading kind of scripts and things like that and it's kind of become exciting and then started the podcast as well which we will have you all on it's like yeah suddenly the suddenly the ball just started rolling after this thing came out so excited to see what happens next any uh can you talk about any of the movies or no uh i think uh i think i can (laughs) i'm just curious like what kind of roles or you know you know, it's it's funny. Uh, the role is actually this. Uh, he's a Midwestern jock, basically from a small Oklahoma town that moves <laughs> to the big city to to be, you know, make it as a big singer. Shocker! So I was like, yes, it's almost like I can play this guy. It's like you wrote it for me. It's like a big stretch. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it was very very cool. I was like, huh. I was like, but it's funny because after you you go and perform and people can watch you on stage. They can see you in certain roles or they write you in certain roles. Right. Right. So I'm going to guess that there, you know, there is a chance that 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 probably character was written in some way, shape or form, you know, after some conversations or something like that was seen. So it's pretty cool to see how that thing, you know, I I always made fun of it, but the D.L. Hughley show came after the Kings of comedy, you know, the Bernie Mac show came after the Kings of comedy and and Kings and the Bernie Mac show was basically his Kings of comedy set. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. right? People forget that. I was like, yeah, everything Bernie said on stage about those kids ends up being the Bernie Mac show. (laughs) Uh, and if you watch a lot of comics over the years, that really is what happens because someone watches that show or special and goes, Oh, that's a, Oh, that's I can see that character. I can I can envision that, and they just start writing it. Yeah, like um, a Seinfeld. Yeah, right. So, 
so it's exciting that that's you know starting to actually see that happen and, and the roles that are popping up. You know, you start reading them. I'm like, oh, I mean, I could have been this guy last year, but no, I really see why you think I'm this guy now. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, so have you been recognized or like um, has anybody come up to you and said, "Hey, you're that dude on TV" or anything? No. Like that? And part of it is probably because of how much of an introvert I am. Yeah. <laughs> and the other part is because we don't take masks off yet, still out oh, here. Okay. I mean, you, right? So I was like, I thought, but I, I also thought about it too. I was like, would anyone really, I mean, they'd have to really be, so, once again, LA County is 10 million people. So yeah. it's, there's so many stinking stars out here. Yeah, but still, I mean, I mean you know, you're on TV, somebody's going to say, hey, I, I was about you. to say, I, I will say this. At some point, I think it will happen. Uh, uh, Entourage, uh, character Adam Davies, right? He's like, I don't know, character number 30, right? It's not like he's so, he had a recurring role. It's not like he was some big actor in the show, yeah. right? But sure enough, when I was working up in Hollywood, I, said, I was like, ah, you're you're Adam. I didn't, I didn't know his real name. I was like, you're Adam Davies on Entourage. He's like, yeah, yeah that's me. And I was just thinking to myself, so yeah, at some point it's going to happen. If I'm remembering actor number nine or 10 in my favorite show, yeah. you know, at some point you're going to run into somebody. It's going to be like, Hey, I'm pretty sure I saw your special somewhere. <laughs> hey, weren't you on Matt and Kat's podcast? <laughs> right. There we go. They're, they're going to recognize it. From, they're not going to know where, and yeah. hopefully that's a good thing. They won't remember. That means I've done enough content things, enough places. They don't know where they've seen me. They just know they have. <laughs> that's funny. All right, Kat, any more questions? Um, yeah, I just had a couple more. So, um, oh, hit me, Kat. <laughs> do you find that a lot of comics are introverted because, uh, you know, it seems like they would be very extroverted, but then, uh, you know, I, I hear this from time to time that maybe that isn't the case. That is a great question because most comics that I know, most of them are introverts, right? And I mean, think about the people that we like. I'll just, I mean, I know it's a bunch of black comics, but Tracy Morgan and Eddie Murphy and Chris Rock for probably just three examples. They're out there at times, but they're really homebodies. They really like, like Eddie, that's why Eddie disappeared. Eddie, Eddie really, like, he had partied hard, yeah, sure, in his heyday, but Eddie really liked to be home with his kids and raising his family and having fun at the house. That's why Eddie disappeared after the Doolittle years, right? <laughs> and and people forget, like, yeah, Chris Rock can turn it on when he goes to a dinner party, but Chris Rock, when he's at home, loves to be at home. He'd much rather be at home. And I'm, I'm very much that same way. And a lot of the comments here that I've met over the years are very much – they love to be at home. They love to be to themselves because then when you go out, it's the show, right? Because now everyone expects you to be funny and everyone's expecting you to give them that energy. So I don't feel like turning that energy on all the time, but there are those guys, you know, that you mentioned and talk about that they are on all the time, whether they're at home, whether they're at the grocery store, whether they're with friends, they're just on, 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 on. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the world that I, you know, that's not the world of comics that I know. Most most of the guys are pretty relaxed and introverted, and then, you know, that's their alter ego, or, or as Dave calls it, you know, that's who I really am when I get on stage. Yeah. Well, so when you go back to your um, family reunions, are oh. you 
you know, do they expect you to be on all the time? So I'm, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll, I probably put on a big face. There's no way to hide it. I put on a huge face when I'm at home. I, uh, you know, I revert back to the good old country boy when I go home. And I was always the stupid, silly one in the family, like not maybe as loud and, and kind of boisterous as I am when it comes to entertainment out here. But, you know, I was at least always the childish one there. So I still kind of have that childishness when I go home uh, versus the kind of <laughs> I, I would call city wildness that I have out here. <laughs> right. Interesting. Uh, well, I've always wondered that, but it, I know it's just, well, like from Robin Williams and uh, and just other examples, too, that it seems like that there's, you know, the stage side, but then it doesn't match the um, no. side. No, and uh, you know what? And Robin is a great example there, you know, and, and um, oh God, uh uh, Geraldo, not Geraldo, Geraldo, uh, Jimmy Geraldo from a few years ago, who also committed suicide and a few other comics um, that were, I mean, you know, people forget Jimmy was was a lawyer. You know, Jimmy had a huge degree. Robin was one of the smartest people. Like, comics are, are pretty smart folks. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, you got to be to kind of, you know, memorize two hours or an hour and a half worth of stuff and in order and, you know, trying to make people laugh at the same time. And, uh, there's a lot going on and so when you see those people up there and they're having fun and you're having fun you know you people assume that they're fun people but I mean a lot of those guys and that's the reason they are introverts because there is a lot of dark stuff going on in their heads too um, and that's why they get on stage because that's the outlet um, uh, it was funny but probably my first year in when I was talking about some of that resentment it wasn't all about my stage performances and, and actually making money and going on the road. Part of it was that, and I'll never forget this. One of the guys told me, he's like, you're actually happy. Mm -hmm. Like it baffled me when someone said that to me, he goes, no, 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 no. He, Those guys just like you because you're actually happy. And he goes, that's, that's not a normal thing for comics. You know, you perform on stage, but your actual life at home isn't, you know, always that jolly. You're typically pretty much disturbed, which is why you're writing all these things. So, um, you know, that was something that always stuck with me because it is fun to watch that entertainment, but sometimes people have to remember, sometimes that entertainment comes from some pretty rough places. Yeah. So what advice do you have for uh, those who maybe are interested in being uh, stand-up comics, some young people that aspire to that? What would you tell them? That's my favorite question um, because I would tell them to go for it. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people say, what? No, tell them the real. I was like, no, 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 I am telling them the real. Go for it. Get up there. Listen, you're funny with your friends. You're fun. Get up there and grab that microphone and go for it. Because I bet you, you find out really fast, <laughs> really quickly. If you're, um, 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 <laughs> or, or if you can actually tell a joke. Right, because being funny to your group of friends for the last decade and grabbing a microphone and making a room full of strangers laugh are two completely different crafts. And and that's why I tell people, you know, they talk about that in the last few years with all the Netflix specials and all the things that have come on TV. You know, it makes it seem so easy. 
and you know now more people think that they can do it. And I, I tell people, great, go do it. Listen, do you know how many actors from uh, the league and 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 hell, Urkel, Jaleel, all these people that I've met over the years who I've seen them plenty of times at stand-up places, a comedy store, and the ice houses and stuff. Great, they're already famous. They're already on shows. Do you know how horrible they are at stand-up? Hmm. They're right, and they'll step off stage and they'll tell you stand-up is one of the hardest things to do. I was like, so I, I but I was told I encourage you because you're gonna find out really quickly if you like stand-up or not. Can you take a crowd of people not laughing at you? Can and then get up and go do it again the next night, right? Because if not, and you can fall back on your normal job, guess what? You're not gonna do too much of. Probably not gonna do too much comedy. Um, but you know, I. I I always tell people to go for it because you never know until you try. So at least get up there and try. Because if you start getting laughs, never know. You might be the next beast. And there we go. We have someone to make the population laugh again. Great. Great advice. Um, well, I'm so glad that um, this time we have recorded <laughs> Yes, and, we have. <laughs> you know, it's gone really well again. And I, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you and hearing your story so i appreciate you being our guest again <laughs> no cat and matt thank you so much it was amazing to be on uh thank you guys so much for having me it was definitely a blast uh and listen i, I mean i gotta say honestly it just feels like we're, we're three hours into the conversation now that's all <laughs> <laughs> but technically we are <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been great. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate your, uh, you know, your openness and talking about all the, the things that you've been through and, uh, you know, getting to get it on tape this time. Um, <laughs> it, it's definitely been an interesting story and, uh, I think people will really enjoy it when they, when they get to hear it. Uh, so I'll give you, uh, you know, a couple seconds here to give people a way to get in touch with you if they'd like to. Yeah, man, you know, I, I'm horrible about the social medias of the world, <laughs> but uh, you can find me on Instagram at Preston Taylor Comic. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Preston J Taylor One. Uh, you can find me on Tubi for free. Watch Farm to TV now exclusively there. Um, and of course, if you're listening to this at a later date, catch us on Apple TV as well, starting in June. Awesome. Uh, and as always, uh, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or complaints, especially the complaints, send those to Cat at IWritePlays at Outlook dot com. <laughs> because <laughs> she loves those <laughs> and uh if you have uh you know you want to tell me how much you love the episode and uh you know that sort of thing you can write to me at uh backstory sessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com and again we thank you preston for being here um awesome uh we look forward to being on your podcast in the future and uh <laughs> yes indeed Look forward to seeing uh, what you're going to do next. Uh, sounds like you got a lot of good things going on. So, hey, Thank you guys again. Appreciate Hawaii. it. That sounds great, too. What's that, Ken? Yes. I told him to enjoy Hawaii because he's off to... <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. Ready, ready for that fun in the sun for the next week. Is that a is that a uh, working vacation or is that uh, just vacation? 
No, no, strictly vacation. <laughs> nice, nice. What what uh, island are you going to? Uh, uh, how, I'm horrible. Uh, where am I going? I'm flying in the ITO. Hilo? Okay. Hilo? Uh, uh, yeah, and then they stay, I mean, like 45 minutes from the airport. Yeah. So, my son, I'm, uh, I'm, just, you know, kind of weird, but my son spent, uh, almost a year, um, on a cruise ship in Hawaii, and he went every seven days was, you know, around the island. Oh, wow. He's been to all of them, so. Said it's beautiful that's, there. That's, I would say that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, not as fun as you would think because he was. <laughs> so when he went there, he was like kind of shy and you know didn't really like talking to people and stuff. So uh, he was uh, a cook there on the ship, and uh, the first thing they did was stuck him out on the omelet station where he had to sit there and talk to people as he cooked oh. their breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he got yep. over that. <laughs> I'll say it'll change a man. Yeah. Now you gotta talk to people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, thanks again for being here, and uh, we will talk to you all again soon. Thanks.